On this week's episode of the Nesson Soccer Podcast, we'll discuss the fallout of Chelsea replacing Frank Lampard with Thomas Tuchel as manager. Zlatan Ibrahimovic sees red in the Coppa Italia quarterfinal. Plus, we look ahead to our games of the week. Hello and welcome to the Nesson Soccer Podcast. I am Mark, along with Marcus. Marcus, how are you? I'm good. Cold, snowy here in Boston. How are you? I'm, I'm doing well. I think we're both doing better than Frank Lampard. And we're going to dive into all the goings-ons at Chelsea. We're also going to talk about Zlatan Ibrahimovic and his fiasco in the quarterfinals and an extended Zlatan quote of the week. And we're also going to get into some games of the weekend, which have kind of a unique aspects for us this week. But let's start with Chelsea. You know, a worldwide club fires a manager, but this is becoming a bit of a trend at Chelsea. And Marcus, you really dove into this. So, you know, just what's going on at Chelsea? Because they they started off the season not so bad and have really hit a, a rough stretch here and in, in recently. Well, Chelsea had, long story short, Chelsea fired Frank Lampard on Monday. First thing, Monday morning, they call him into Stamford Bridge and relieve him of his duties. Frank Lampard, of course, Chelsea's all-time leading scorer, club legend. Uh, He's beloved by everybody there, except for possibly the players and maybe some of the directors. But, you know, he had all the sentimentality that you would want in a managerial hire. The problem with Frank Lampard is that he was he was still learning the job of management. Uh, he had had one year at uh, Derby County in the second division, uh, sorry, in the championship, and then Chelsea hired him. He had a bit of a honeymoon that first year where he uh, led the Blues to fourth place in the Premier League, and they also reached the FA Cup final where they lost to Arsenal. It was almost like a free pass his first year because Chelsea had the transfer ban that uh, had prevented them from signing players in the summer of, boy, I think that was 2019. Right, Uh, yeah. Well, the problem is, is that in 2020, Chelsea spent over 200 million British pounds on new players. They have not all bedded in and integrated very well into the squad. Chelsea started this season. Uh, they were okay. Uh, there was a 17 game unbeaten run at one point in all competitions. But after December 12th, they had this miserable run in the in the Premier League where they had two wins, five losses, and one draw. Now, one thing Chelsea does not do is sentimentality. And uh, <laughs> I think you 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 talked about it as a trend growing. Uh, this trend has been going on since Robin Abramovich bought the club in, uh, I believe it was either 2002 or 2003. I want to say 2003, he took over. Lampard is the 16th manager since then, either full-time wow. or interim, that has been replaced. And Abramovich, I think this is the first time he did this, where he put out he, he was quoted in a statement. He's uh, yeah, he's a very quiet owner, but, you know, he, he everybody knows he wields all the power at the club. 
He said, uh, recent results and performances have not met the club's expectation, leaving the club mid-table without any clear path to sustained improvement. There can never be a good time to part ways with a club legend such as Frank, but after lengthy deliberation and consideration, it was decided a change is needed now to give the club time to improve performances and results this season. The part about the clear path to sustained improvement really struck me as uh, that that was the wow part of the statement because mm. it suggests to me that the club hierarchy had given up on Frank Lampard. I'm sure it didn't just happen, you know, starting in the last five or six weeks or so, but, it, you know, there were, there were problems going on uh, behind the scenes for some time and they pulled the trigger. So that's really, that's really the why you know, you can say Lampard was probably in over his head at a, at a club of yeah. that size. And the expectation that comes from, one, being Chelsea manager, two, being the manager after they had spent, you know, 200 plus million pounds on new players. Uh, they expected better. They did not get better. And they pulled the trigger. So, uh, yeah, Lampard is manager number 16 full-time or interim that has been uh, relieved of his duties in the Roman Abramovich era, not starting a trend. He is just the latest in a trend. Uh, when you become Chelsea manager, you, you know what you're getting into. <laughs> yeah. I hope Thomas Tuchel knows what he's getting into, but with, I, I think when Lampard was hired, at least I remember having a feeling of, I would be shocked if he makes it beyond, you know, three years with the club because he did, he came from one year of coaching in the championship. And whenever you kind of see that, like I I'm trying to think of the most successful star player to quickly become a manager. And I guess Zidane would be a good example, but he did, he didn't become a manager all that quickly after like the Lampard was essentially one year as a coach. And then he's suddenly coaching Chelsea with zero experience at having managed a premier league club, let alone a premier league club that's competing in champions league competing, you know, supposed to be in the late stages of the league cup and the FA cup and, and this sort of thing all the time. So it was just, yeah, he, definitely was in over his head um, yeah. I think every club is really trying to um, not every club but many clubs are trying they, they love the idea of having their own Pep Guardiola uh -huh. somebody who comes from the club retires maybe does a, an apprenticeship somewhere and then comes in and turns the team into world beaters you know it's one of the best uh, one of the great soccer stories of the last uh, 25 plus years, the impact Guardiola had on uh, Barcelona. But it was, you know, you're almost, uh, it's almost a Hail Mary when you go for that because right. managing a club at that level and of those expectations takes, uh, you, you really have to be among the best of the best to do it. And you know, it's almost like like a shooting star that somebody can come in and have that impact. We're seeing Andrea Pirlo struggle at Juventus. Mikel Arteta, I wouldn't call him an Arsenal legend, but former Arsenal player comes in. It's just, you know, you can't expect something like that to really work out. 
certainly I would say nine times out of 10, it's going to fail. Right. Yeah, no, Pirlo needs to get things going too in the Serie A, but we're going to talk about Serie A a little later. So in comes Thomas Tuchel. And for me, you know, the, the constant from the American perspective, the only thing that I know about him and likely will care about him is that he was the Dortmund manager when Christian Pulisic began his first team career with Dortmund. And so now my big question is, <laughs> unfortunately, probably unfairly, like, what does this all mean for Christian Pulisic? But I think in order to know that, we have to know more about Thomas Tuchel. So what do we know about Thomas Tuchel? Uh, well, because there is more to soccer than the American ex- perspective, I'm going <laughs> to... Is there? I'm going to ignore your question uh, because this is... <laughs> Uh, much bigger than Christian Pulisic. Uh, Thomas Tuchel is thought of, he's, uh, he's a young guy, 47 years old. He's German. Uh, he's schooled in the German system. I think German coaches are seen as probably collectively the best right now. And he is one of the, he's up there, you know, among the best German coaches. I think you have to have uh, Jurgen Klopp maybe at the top. Tuchel right under who worked at, at Dortmund. He's really known as a kind of an obsessive, detail-oriented type. Uh, you could even say control freak, which mm. um, has at previous clubs, you've seen a very uh, exciting and um, exciting style of play. Uh, his teams genuinely, you know, generally play entertaining, expansive soccer, but and this comes as a big but, his relationships with those above him have fractured pretty much every step of the way uh, at Mainz in Germany, certainly at Dortmund in Germany. Then he went to PSG where uh, he was fired. PSG fired him, I believe, in December, which was just last month, uh, Mm. because the political aspect of the job was uh, he wasn't too good at that Uh, he actually talked about that about how he was um really enjoyed coaching it but the coaching psg but the politics of the club graded on him uh he had uh, some friction with the sporting director leonardo obviously didn't have uh the backing of uh psg president nasser al-khalifi so certainly very interesting to see how this is going to work at chelsea which is a club that uh the manager doesn't run the show there. Uh, the manager, I mean, Tuchel's title is head coach and that's what he's going to be doing. He's going to be bringing uh, his ability. That's what they're, they're hiring him for is to put everything together on the field and leave the running of the club up to the people who run the club. Uh, but he is one of the most high, one of the most highly rated coaches in Europe. You're right. He did work with Christian Pulisic at Dortmund. Uh, so this could be maybe a new lease on uh, on life for Pulisic, but it'll be it'll be very interesting. Um, you know, there were in a, in a midseason coaching change, there probably aren't many uh, attractive candidates for a club like Chelsea. But yeah. I think he is somebody that they had been eyeing. Um, you know, that they really wanted. I think Tuchel would have pre- preferred to take over in the uh in the off season where you know he can really impose his ideas better but you know he's coming in uh 
you know, while the campaign is under is in full full flow. And, uh, you know, he had one game so far, 0-0 draw against Wolves at Stamford Bridge. And it'll be very interesting to see what becomes of this. He has a uh, an 18-month contract with, a, I think, an option. Uh, he and Chelsea both have the option to extend beyond that. And so I, I would expect, you can never expect a Chelsea manager to be there beyond three or four years, but uh, uh-huh. I think this is, he is more likely to hit that three-year mark than Lampard. Uh, had PSG fired Tuchel um, after last season, and I think they only didn't because they reached the Champions League final with him. And, you know, yeah. in addition to sweeping everything in France, uh, had they fired him last off season, I suspect Chelsea might have made the move to get him. Um, they really wanted him. And one thing about Abramovich, and this goes back, uh, you know, I've been not covering Chelsea, but following Chelsea professionally for uh, the better part of the last 10 years, he has always been linked to a manager who plays with style. Uh, you know, who's a manager whose teams are known to play with style. Uh, so I think this is one of those, one of those hires where he's getting, uh, he's getting that stylistic aspect, you know, for him, it was never for Abramovich. It was never enough to just win in the way that say Jose Mourinho or Rafa Benitez might win. Um, you know, you have to win and do it beautifully. Uh, I think that's what, that's what Abramovich ideally wants. And that's why Tuchel has come in uh, to bring that to Stanford Bridge. He's coming in. He said it in his introductory uh, interview, you know, he's coming to win trophies, compete for trophies, but it's not enough to win at Chelsea. You have to do it in a certain way. Absolutely. And, you know, I think another way that, you know, Lampard wasn't so flashy is he was so, he seems like such like a headstrong guy. And I think the lasting memory of him at Chelsea as manager for me will be when he had that tirade against Jurgen Klopp um, in a game, I guess it was the last season, but it was, you know, after the uh, pandemic restart and it was an empty stadium. So you could kind of hear most of what uh, Klopp and Lampard were saying to each other. And basically, you had Lampard losing his mind and Klopp kind of standing there with a confused look on his face like, man, this guy cannot keep it together. Um, and, you know, it just seemed to kind of have this like so super intense persona and attitude in almost every press conference and, um, you know, just kind of no uh, taking it back at all and kind of letting anybody else around him relax. Uh, I don't know. That was kind yeah. of my, yeah. That's, uh, you know, the, the English media have, uh, have this word that they throw around called spiky. Uh, Lampard <laughs> was very spiky throughout his Chelsea tenure uh, where he would launch barbs. He would uh, mix it up with Klopp, mix it up with uh, Mourinho. And, mm. you know, that's, that's part of the managerial game. You have to project a certain amount of power, a certain amount of fight. And uh, yeah, he was trying to do that. But at the same time, 
I think that power and fight was slipping away from him behind the scenes. Um, certainly judging by results, all mm -hmm. was not well. Um, if you look at the form of players like Timo Werner, uh, Kai Havertz, um, players that Chelsea spent a lot of money on, they weren't getting much out of them, certainly after November. Um, yeah. And given the investment, you know, we've seen this time and time again, where investment becomes not, it's not always something that's going to take the club forward. Um, it's often a rope to hang a manager with. And uh, I think that was the case with Lampard. They spent all that money. The team was slipping backwards and they had a guy named Tuchel who's waiting in the wings, who, by the way, speaks fluent German. Uh, he is, you know, he is German. Um, right. You know, he's somebody that maybe could forge closer personal relationships with players like Havertz and Werner. Um, I wouldn't say that's why they brought him in or picked a German coach, but certainly that is something that's going for him. Um, and that maybe he could relate to them in a way that Lampard couldn't. Yeah. Well, speaking of spiky personas, we had a really spiky interaction in the Coppa Italia quarterfinals. And, and it kind of brings us to our Zlatan quote of the week, Marcus. We're going to go a little more in depth than we usually do on the Zlatan quote of the week. There is one quote from Zlatan that we'll get to, but first we have to give a pretty long explanation as to what led to it. So we had AC Milan and Inter Milan facing off in the Coppa Italia quarterfinal on Tuesday. And Highly anticipated matchup. These two clubs are one and two in the Serie A right now. And, you know, the Milan Derby isn't, you know, at, at its height or at a height, you know. And Zlatan Ibrahimovic starting at striker scores in the 31st minute to give AC Milan a one nothing lead. All is well. And right at halftime, and this, it was very confusing sequence, but there was kind of, you know, it was a very feisty, intense game. There was maybe like a tough challenge right before halftime, but it didn't involve Zlatan or Romelo Lukaku. But then both those players began sort of jawing at each other and, you know, lashing out insults at each other right before halftime. Yellow cards are issued to Zlatan and Lukaku. And as articles, indicate later just you know dishing out sort of these long-standing insults and things that go back years between the two players and um you know it's the milan derby it's late stages of the copa italia like yeah it's a big deal that the players got yellow cards but this all is sort of to be expected it's all part of the show the second half begins and it's still a very intense chippy game and by the 58th minute once again, Lukaku and Zlatan are in each other's fates, and Zlatan is issued a red card. And now AC has to try and play out the game, and they are unable to hang on to the lead. It's actually Romelu Lukaku who scores on a penalty to tie the game. Then Christian Eriksen scores a beautiful free kick to win the game in the 97th minute to send Inter Milan into the semifinals. They'll play Juventus, and that actually starts next week. But it was a crazy moment to just kind of see 
Zlatan, who seemed to be kind of, I, I don't know, you, you could argue he was trying to get into Lukaku's head and throw him off of his game, but in the process gets himself thrown out of the game. And, you know, the, of course, this exploded. And everybody wanted to know, you know, word for word, they want like a transcript of what happened on the field and what was said. And people were, not, not too many, but some thought that it might have been some racist comments from Zlatan to Lukaku. And that does bring us to our Zlatan quote of the week in which Zlatan sort of put that to bed, denied any accusations of racism. And Zlatan shared on his Twitter saying, quote, in Zlatan's world, there is no place for racism. We are all the same race. We are all equal. We are all players, some better than others. End quote. So that's a very Zlatan way of saying that there was nothing racist that took place on the field. But I mean, it was kind of crazy. The different quotes that did come out, they were both seemed to be insulting each other's mothers. And then there was a reference to a a saga that went down with Lukaku at Everton with uh, voodoo, something that told Lukaku to leave Everton and join a different club. And I guess Zlatan was referencing that in his insults on the field. And it was just all crazy. But I think the biggest takeaway is just that the Milan Derby is back in a big way. And it is. And the Syria race will be fantastic down the stretch. I think one of the best in Europe. AC Milan has 43 points, Inter Milan 41 points, and they will meet for the final time this season on February 21st. So, you know, less than a month from now. And, you know, I think that goes without saying that'll be the game of the weekend for us and in, in that week's podcast. But yeah, Marcus, I mean, I know that. I was watching this game, but I mean, just when you kind of saw anything about this, what was your reaction to just the overall saga fiasco of it? Uh, certainly I shared the, you know, the uh, venom and the heat of the Milan Derby is back. They were, it's been years since these two teams have been, I don't want to say use the word relevant, but since they made, you know, worldwide news when they played each other uh yeah. certainly Zlatan being involved was uh was part of it I never really considered the fact that he and Lukaku might have had uh, some previous animosity but now I you know it, it makes sense when Lukaku was at Manchester United you know when Manchester United bought him he was supposed to be the guy their number one striker and then Zlatan comes and it sort of yeah. things Things kind of went downhill for uh, Lukaku there. I didn't see the game. I didn't dive into the aftermath too much, but I get the sense that they're, you know, in the heat of battle, players say things. Often they go over the top. Zlatan's uh, social media reaction suggests to me that he probably knows he said something that crossed the line which is why the denial comes out. You don't deny something if, you know, if I say one plus one is two, I'm not going to issue a denial or, you know, <laughs> I, I have a feeling there's a, um, and of course I don't, you know, I don't know what was said and uh, I haven't looked into it, but just the fact that he addressed it, you know, that's, that tells me that there is some smoke there. 
Um, I don't think Lukaku has said anything about it, but uh, I did see a short clip and uh, you know, you could, you could see the, the anger that Lukaku had. They were head to head at one point. Zlatan mm-hmm. might've been sent off for a head, but uh, you know, he did put his head down right into Lukaku's face. So ugly scene in terms of sportsmanship, great scene in terms of uh, spectacle and bringing yeah bringing attention to what is I think a comeback for uh, the biggest teams in Italy now that they're all fighting it out with each other and the fact that Juventus has slipped up and uh, you know they're down in fourth or fifth or something like that yeah you know the Syria the the Scudetto is open and these teams are going to be going for it and this uh, Coppa Italia uh, quarterfinal was I think it was a preview of what is to come in three weeks time when they meet again. I hope you're right, Marcus. Um, and it's, yeah, there's one through seven in Syria is, is pretty close separated by nine points from first to seventh place. And, you know, pretty much at the exact halfway point um, in the season. So I think as, as our podcasts go on, we might be paying even more attention to Syria as the days go on. Now, I, I guess that's about it from the Zlatan and Lukaku saga. I, it just I wanted to make sure we, we talked about it at least a little bit because it really was. I mean, it just brought like the whole game to a halt. And, um, you know, I, I couldn't take my eyes away. And and also, you know, you got Arturo Vidal and Alexis Sanchez just flying around for Inter, Inter Milan now. And they're a fun team to watch, but that's kind of different story but all right Marcus let's get to our games of the weekend and I guess we should let you start as uh, you've had this one in your back pocket for a bit here the Copa Libertadores final Palmeiras versus Santos 3 p.m. on Saturday viewers can watch it in the United States on BN Sports it is an all Brazil final which is taking place in Rio at the Maracanã which is one of the hollowed hallowed grounds <laughs> It's also kind of hollowed out, but one of the <laughs> hallowed, one of the hallowed uh, grounds of world soccer. Uh, Palmeiras going for their second ever Libertadores title, their first since 1999. Santos has won it three times, most recently in 2011. It's the first All Brazil final since 2006. Comes uh, two years after that All Argentina final, uh, Boca versus River. Uh, the winner is going to represent South America at the FIFA Club World Cup, which kicks off next week. Uh, so, yeah, this is one game, one game for it all, the biggest game in South American club soccer. And uh, I'll be watching Saturday afternoon. Yeah, I will uh, be watching that one too, Marcus, as my Copa Libertadores fanhood continues to grow. But I will also be watching the U.S. men's national team when they take on Trinidad and Tobago. 7 o'clock on Sunday night. Um, you can watch on FS1. The game is in Orlando. Unsure of the fan participation or attendance in that, but the real reason I'm watching, and this, of course, is the culmination of the U.S. soccer's January camp, which is you know, always a domestic roster for the most part and kind of fringe players hoping to work their way in to get an opportunity and in this version, hopefully get an opportunity in, say, the upcoming Gold Cup or 
maybe even get on some World Cup qualifying rosters later in the year. But New England Revolution goalkeeper Matt Turner is in the camp. He has been playing well in the camp. Greg Berhalter took time to point him out in a press conference earlier this week. And also U.S. Soccer even published their own article on their website talking about Matt Turner's rise. And uh, it's kind of a unique thing with being in this January camp. Typically, you aren't looking at potential or I don't want to make a sweeping generalization about it. But like it's not the best players at the given time that are typically participating in the January camp. But when you look at the U.S. men's national team and the goalkeepers available, you pretty much are, you know, Zach Steffen plays for Man City. But Matt Turner has been on this steady rise and if he can continue to rise at the similar pace I mean I would expect him to be competing at least to be on the on a first team roster when qualifiers come around even if it's a as a backup goalkeeper role it's kind of like all in front of him and what's crazy is that this is going to be his first game with with the men's national team and Turner himself was asked about it in a press conference earlier this week so let's hear what he had to say First of all, I'll start with just saying that the opportunity that presents itself, I'm so grateful for it. Um, and who knows, you know, hopefully my name is on the, that, that 11 sheet um, when the time comes this Sunday against Trinidad and Tobago. But uh, I've worked really hard for, for a chance and an opportunity, and I've, I've had lots of ups and downs in my career. Frank, I'm sure that you've, uh, you've, you've been around for a lot of them. So uh, experience is the best teacher. So. Um, I think that it allowed me to grow in confidence in, in who I was as a person and as a goalkeeper. And um, getting a new coaching staff completely uh, opened the door for a kid who might have been seen by the previous coaching staff as some no-name kid from a no-name college um, that you know we took a chance on, and it turned into uh, you know a, a new coaching staff with a new perspective on who I was as a player and and all they know is is from here here on so it was a really good opportunity for me to get in front of people who didn't know anything about my background and show them what I could do uh, for me you know it's focusing on what I've learned over the past two or three weeks and and putting it into effect and making sure that I show the coaching staff if that opportunity presents itself that I'm somebody that they can rely on at, at the international stage and you know, honestly, after that is when I'll I'll be able to reflect on my journey and reflect on how much it really has meant to me uh, to become a you know a player for this U.S. men's national team. It, you know, if the time comes. And and for me, the reason I got into soccer in the first place was because of the World Cup run in 2010, and uh, is something that's always been so special to me. And it's what ignited me to become passionate about this game and. Uh, you know, 11 years later to be able to have the chance even to wear the crest on a, on a match day is uh, nothing short of a dream come true. Again, that was New England Revolution and U.S. Men's National Team goalkeeper Matt Turner. And the game is 7 o'clock on Sunday. And, you know, just we'll be have a strong eye on Turner and just kind of, as always with these January camp games, just looking for one or two guys that can really potentially be contributors down the road for the kind of a roster of the U S men's national team. But 
Marcus, I want to thank you for joining me today. Uh, for those that want to continue listening with us, uh, you can find all of our podcasts at nesson.com slash podcast and also on iTunes and Spotify by searching Nesson Soccer Podcast on those platforms. We come right up. We got a nice little logo and most people like our intro song. So hopefully you stick around for the rest of it with us. Um, Marcus, anything else to add before we sign off? No, that's it for me. All right. Thanks, everybody. Oh, I tell you soon. Oh.